0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this podcast for Cambridge Health Tech Institute's Leaders in Biobanking Congress, taking place this November 4th through the 5th in Indianapolis, Indiana, at the Sheraton Indianapolis City Center. I'm Ann Wynn, the Events Associate Conference Producer. Today, we're pleased to feature one of our speakers from the Biospecimens and Translational Science Session, Dr. Sherilyn Sawyer, Scientific Director of the BWH Harvard Cohorts Biorepository at Brigham and Women's Hospital here in Boston. Thanks for joining us, Sherry.
1: Hi, thanks for having me, Anne. It's a pleasure to be here today.
0: Now, uh, let's start off by discussing where you are at right now. Um, as we said, the Brigham and w- Women's Hospital, which is a teaching affiliate of Harvard Medical School in in Boston. Um, how did you end up there, and how does your repository work fit into that setting?
1: Um, so I guess it's a bit of a long story for how I got here, so I'll spare you the sorted of details. But, you know, I don't think anyone really... Um, Know, decide when they're 10 years old that they're going to go into biobanking. Um, it's not, you know, something you put on your school project. One day I want to grow up and uh, manage a biospecimen resource. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> but um, and so for me, it really sort of uh, happened organically. So I had the pleasure to um, join a very talented team of people at the National Cancer Institute a little bit earlier on in my career and um, work with some people who were wonderfully knowledgeable in biospecimen research management and biospecimen policy. And then from there, um, had the opportunity to come here to the Brigham Women's Hospital um, to take over as the scientific director for this very large um, population-based cohort biorepository managed at the Channing Division of Network Medicine. And so... I'm sorry, what was the second part
0: of your question? Oh, um, how does your work fit into the setting there um, in your environment, in, your, in terms of your resources and opportunities and what you uh, try to do there?
1: Oh, it fits in really well, I suppose, if that answers your question. So um, this biorepository is, is very old in terms of a lot of biorepositories. Um, being one that is focused on holding biospecimens from people who are research participants in large cohort studies. Um, we've been following many of the participants in the biorepository for more than 30 years now. So, so this biorepository rep- is very large, very well established, and very highly supported here at the Brigham. I um, also have the pleasure to work very closely with um, a large group of faculty who are involved with the biorepository from the Harvard School of Public Health, which is just across the street. So. Um, So, you know, I think I I feel very fortunate to um, work with such a well-established group and to be a part of such a well-respected organization as the Brigham and the Harvard School of Public Health.
0: Wonderful. And um, going from uh, your exper- specific experiences there to a much broader outlook, um, can you provide an overview of how biospecimen collection and usage has evolved over, say, the last few years or even the last few decades? Like what, what, would you tell, um, what would you like to tell us there?
1: Well, um, from my own perspective, I think that the usage of biospecimens in research, uh, human specimens, that is, um, has gone up significantly. So I think many, many more researchers and research projects have um, come to realize that the depth of questions they can ask in um, health and pharmaceutical and even basic research is, is very enhanced if they can use human specimens. And so um, the, the use and the demand for those specimens has, has increased significantly, I think. And I, I think that's also reflected in the in the private sector of of companies and organizations that coordinate acquisition of biospecimens. There's been quite a boom in that private sector um, probably in the last five or six years or so, which I think we'll continue to see moving forward. Um, I also think that there has been um, quite a change in the mindset of the research community about the biospecimens that they use. So part of this boom in requests for biospecimens and uses of biospecimens has been based on the fact that, um, you know, in years years past, any given MD, PhD at an organization might set up their own collection from their own patients or their own research studies for some specific question that they want to ask. The state of the science where we're at now with with the boom in technologies and omics level data um, really has uh, done a couple of things. One, um, the platforms that we're using, the tests that people are using, are so much more sensitive that they really need to be very careful about the quality and the um, acquisition variables for the specimens that they're using in their research so that the way the specimen was collected doesn't unduly influence the outcome of the research. And two, you need many, many more specimens. So it's very difficult to ask a high-powered question um, with the type of collection that you can get from your own home institution, from your own home division, and your own collection of patients or research volunteers. So so we have many more researchers now who want to ask these questions with um, these very sensitive technologies but they need high-quality biospecimens that have been managed in a known way. So they, um, they've been uh, documented and in controlled environments, collected in a controlled way under uh, um, an overview SOP, and they need a lot of them. So they can't get them from um, any single place. So they're really relying on biobanks that are able to reach across multiple institutions. They're relying, relying on um, private sector specimen acquisition organizations, and, um, and so there's, there's been quite a boom, I think.
0: And uh, who would you say are the primary users in the research community of the biospecimens that your biorepository houses? And how do you try to address their needs, um, technologically or organizationally or in any other way?
1: Sure. So, um, so the primary users of my biorepository are um, the faculty in Epidemiology and Nutrition and Epidemiology at BWH and Harvard. So these are folks who are studying, if you don't know what epidemiology is, sort of the, the, the long-term outcome of people's uh, uh, environment, their health, their lifestyle, on and, and how that influences um, the types of uh, longevity they have, the types of diseases they develop, the types of, you know, cancer they may uh, be subjected to later in life. And so, um, and that is why this biorepository was built the way it is, to follow cohorts of people over very, very long periods of time. So we um, hold all those specimens and distribute them for approved studies within these groups of people here at um, BWH or Harvard or collaborators or other folks who apply for access from outside and are granted access. Um, you know, I'm also—I'll say that I'm very proud to say that I feel that we um, work very hard to try to fulfill the needs of our investigators who would like to use the Fire Repository. Um, basically, uh, do a lot day to day to bend over backwards to try to get. Their projects done, get them the data they need for the research questions that they're trying to fulfill. Um, and one of the things that I think that we do the best as far as fulfilling that need is um, we're very dedicated to making sure that the specimens that we distribute are what I call, or what a lot of people call, fit for purpose for the use that they're intended for. So there, to explain that a little bit more, there there are a lot of known hallmarks about the specimens that we have. So we have um, blood and urine and white blood cells and cheek cells and toenails and hair and stool samples and uh, a whole lot of different types of biospecimens in our collection. Um, But uh, there are a lot of different attributes of those specimens that make them what they are, and they may not be suitable for every test out there. They may not be suitable for every type of assay or every biomarker or every research platform, but they are suitable for many, 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 many of them. So we really do go to great lengths to do a series of what we call pilots, which are really mini experiments about um, how well our specimens are going to perform on a newly proposed um, uh, research platform. So to give an example, if, um, if someone puts in, a, puts in a request to me and asks for um, a certain number of plasma biospecimens to do a case control analysis, and they want to look at a brand-new biomarker that they just heard about at a conference they went to last week, um, and uh, it's a brand-new technology, and it's not being done very much, and we don't know much about it, the first step for us would be to move through a series of three pilot experiments with the lab that's meant to perform this assay. So we would send um, a small number of samples in the first pilot, which are um, split replicates. You know, so basically that's it's a we take five of the same plasma vials as a easy example. Five of the same plasma vials, we actually split that out into ten vials, and then we give them all a unique label. So they look like 10 unique specimens, but they're actually five blinded splits. And send that to the assay lab and get the data back and take a look. What does the reproducibility look like? You know, is, is it reliable? Um, does tests get the same, the same result every time? Because just because it works with someone else's specimens or specimens collected in a different way doesn't mean it necessarily work with ours. Um, you know, the other two pilots are down similar veins. One is looking at um, variations in the way that we process our specimens, so we call that a processing method experiment. Um, the third is really looking at um, the stability of marker in the populations that we hold specimens for. So um, we, we work very diligently to make sure that if an investigator from our group is going to invest in, you know, sending 2,500 very costly and very precious specimens out for a particular type of assay or measurement that we feel very confident that the the, the matchup of methodology to specimen is going to be a good one.
0: Great. So we've talked about um, the past, a um, bit of your present um, work, and uh, let's look into the future a bit, maybe five to ten years from now. Um, what would you say are the greatest challenges and the most Promising new opportunities that you expect um, your biorepository or biobanks in general to come across.
1: Well, I think um, that's very perspective-focused. So um, I can definitely speak from my <laughs> from my own perspective, from my own biorepository, for where we are now in the in the academic setting that the. The opportunities that I see on the horizon and the direction that I really um, would like to see my group going, and it is also the hurdles that we have to overcome to get there, is really to move a little bit more into um, a little more heavily automated environment. Um, There have been really great strides in lab automation recently, Um, uh, a lot of great strides specifically in tools um, that biorepositories use. Um, but it's a very difficult transition, and, and anyone who has ever tried to transition uh, a very large biorepository over to a more modernized system, I think, would would easily understand. Um, uh, you know, it's very similar to trying to change computing systems, which is actually something that we're doing right now in our biorepository. We're migrating from a legacy Lim system to a modern Lim system, and um, it's, it's amazing and it's wonderful, but it's very difficult. And I think that um, just projecting out into the future, there's going to be more and more automation worked into the environment that deals with um, specimen handling and storage and, uh, and usage. So looking forward to trying to implement some of that, that um, automation into our pipeline, I think, is something that a lot of people face if they're a little bit older by repository. The second biggest hurdle is um, around something that I think impacts everyone, no matter what kind of biorepository you manage or what kind of biospecimens you use. And it really has to do with um, the the legal boundaries and the ethical and social implications around utilizing biospecimens and and acquiring biospecimens for research studies. Um, That is a a sort of ever-changing landscape And there are a lot of different approaches, as far as I am aware of, for different biobanks for how they deal with um, those issues and and, uh, the legalities with their institution on that changing landscape. But it definitely is something that um, I think everyone in the field thinks about all the time. And everyone in the field relies upon experts to try to help them to best interpret um, where things currently stand in that area and what is the best way to move forward. But it's certainly something that um, presents a challenge. Um, there's more and more data out there, more and more um, uh, headlines in the media about um, loss of privacy, things like that, that are alarming to research subjects, and, and, and pretty much everyone. <laughs> so uh, you know, more and more of that, that area. Um, around biobanking and long-term storage of biospecimens and collection of biospecimens research studies is, is, um, is difficult to deal with and very difficult to navigate.
0: And uh, what we do plan to share with us during your presentation at the Biobanking Congress on November 5th?
1: My talk is largely centered around fit-for-purpose use of biospecimens. So, as I was saying before, I will talk a little bit about um, what, that, what we do within my biorepository to address that. But then also probably talk on a little bit broader scale about uh, what that means, um, how that looks in different types of biorepositories, and and try to give a couple of examples from other types of biorepositories as well um, to really uh, um, explain the importance of ensuring the correct and fit usage of biospecimens in research.
0: That sounds great. Um, Sherry, thank you for squeezing us into your schedule for this interview. Uh, we look forward to your live podium presentation later on, but uh, I really appreciate your uh, observations and insights today.
1: Well, thank you, Anne. It was a pleasure to be here.
0: That was Sherilyn Sawyer, scientific director of the BWH Harvard Cohorts Bio Repository at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. She'll be speaking on the morning of Tuesday, November 5th during the Biospecimens and Translational Science Session of this year's Leaders in Biobanking Congress, happening in Indianapolis at the Sheraton Indianapolis City Center, November 4th through the 5th. This wraps up another podcast from Cambridge Health Tech Institute. This is Ann Wynn. Thanks for listening.